We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. We're going to start in verse 25. If you have it, if you would, please stand. <clears throat> I want you to remember as we read this, Jesus has just died and it's been three days. Now he's risen again, but his disciples, they don't believe it. They've lost all hope. And as far as they're concerned, the Savior is just dead. They're lacking some context. They're missing the big picture. They've, they've walked with Jesus. They've taught with Jesus. They've been taught by Jesus. And yet, here they are when they should see it more clearly than anyone, they've lost all hope. And so Jesus is walking along beside of them, but they don't know it's Him. He's hid Himself and His appearance from them, so they don't recognize Him. And, here's, and, and they're telling Him all about what's happened, that, that, that they were hoping that Jesus was going to be the Savior, and now He's been crucified, and, and they're just telling Jesus about Himself. But then Jesus turns the tables and he begins to speak to them. And here's what he says. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Remember that. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets... He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning what? Moses, beginning at Moses, all the prophets. He went back and he just opened up all the scriptures and he said, every bit of it is about what? So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And so they said to one another, listen to this, did not our hearts burn within us while He talked to us on the road, while He opened to us the Scriptures? Notice here, guys who lived in the moment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they don't get it. And all of a sudden they look back and they go, our hearts were burning so when He was opening up the Scriptures, they began to see it as the Scriptures were opened up to them. Stay with me. It says, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those, were, and those who were gathered with them together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. But they, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and see my feet that it is myself. 
Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written, listen to this, that everything written about what? About me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened all their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Be seated. Let me pray. Father, I come to you this morning and Lord, I pray that right now our hearts would burn within us as you open your word to us. I pray that you would help us to open the scriptures, God. That just as Jesus did to his disciples, that you would open our eyes and that we would see the gospel like we have never seen it before. And Father, how it applies to everyone, to all nations, God, I pray that you would help us to see that this morning. Father, I pray that, Lord, you would just make the Bible to be seen this morning as more than just a bunch of different stories that are hard to understand. I pray that we would see this morning that from Genesis to Revelations, every bit of it is one story with one hero, and that's you. Father, I pray that you show us how everything in the books of Moses from Genesis and to the prophets and to the Psalms and the Proverbs and I pray that you show us how every bit of it since the creation of the world has been pointing us to Jesus and to who he is, God. So, Father, I pray you open our eyes to that this morning. God, I also pray this morning, as we mentioned earlier, for the family of the, uh, the young boy that... Um, Lord, for whatever reason, took his own life. Uh, Father, I just pray for that family. I pray that those that are left behind would, would see this as a moment of reality, that, that, Lord, we have a hope that we have to preach, that we have to make known. We have to let people know that there is so much more hope than the things that we suffer in this world. And that, Father, it's worth going through for your glory. So, Father, I pray for that family this morning, and I pray this would be a family that they draw closer to you than they ever have. Father, I pray for the, my other family members that are sick, Father, the ones that are going through sufferings of the curse of this world. I pray, God, if it can be your will that you deliver them, that you would heal them, that you would let them taste the first fruits of this redemption you have prepared for us, God. And, Father, again, I thank you so much because I know where it comes from. I know that without your broken body and your shed blood, we would not have this opportunity to, to be in relationship with you and then to experience you throughout all eternity. So, Father, thank you for that this morning. Father, I pray, bless your word, make it accomplish your purpose this morning. I look to you for that, and I pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I told you a minute ago, um, here we have two disciples. They're walking down this road. They're telling Jesus all about what took place. And Jesus is just looking at them and he's playing dumb. He looks back at them and, and he literally asks them, he says, what are y'all talking about? 
And they look back at Jesus and they say, are you the only stranger in all this place? In other words, everybody around here knows what took place this weekend. And yet, you're asking us what we're talking about? And then they begin to tell him the story of Jesus and all of his miracles and all that he's done. And they begin to tell about his life and that they were hoping that he was going to be the one to save Israel. But now he's dead. And Jesus looks at him and he says, Oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken about me. And then it says, beginning at Moses, he opens the scriptures to them. Now you know that the first five books of the Old Testament are called the books of what? Moses. Beginning at Genesis, he opens the scriptures to them and shows them all the things that point that, that they should have known. Listen, these guys were these guys were Jews. They knew the scriptures. They were well founded in the stories. If anybody should have known the gospel of Jesus Christ, it should have been them. But they didn't know. They missed it. They missed the big picture. So this morning, my goal, I really want to try to pull you back a little bit because I think we get so caught up in focusing on the individuals that we miss the individual that every one of them point to. I think we get so focused on concentrating on the heroes of, of Abraham and Moses and David and all the ones that came, Elijah and, and, and Elisha. We get so focused on those that we forget to focus on who they pointed to. That when you read about all of them, the story is not about David being the hero that conquered Goliath. We think it is. But when you draw back, Jesus says, no, the story was not even about David. The story was about faith in God. And the story was about God sending a deliverer, a hero. You know, the point to the story is really not that if you have enough faith, you'll conquer your giant. Don't get me wrong. That is a point of the story, but that's not the point. See, here's the problem. All of God's children stood there in front of Goliath and as you probably remember, they trembled in fear. No one could stand against him. They were defeated. There was nothing they could do unless God raises up a hero. And all of a sudden, God paints them a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ and he raises up a hero. But the point was not to show you that David and, uh, conquered Goliath. The point was to show you that God was going to raise up a hero to save his people. Israel didn't lift a hand. Israel didn't fight a battle. God raised up David and he conquered the enemy for all of Israel and they all rejoiced in the victory that God had gave them through the deliverer. We're going to see that no matter what story you go to and no matter what you look at, Jesus said, listen, if you had been paying attention of the stories of the Bible, you would have seen that from Genesis to Revelations, the whole book was about me. It wasn't about anybody else. It wasn't about anything else. It was about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to be able to see that. Just a few scriptures so that you can see that... Um, Jesus was not the only one that taught this way. Let me get back to my 
scriptures. I've lost connection, Nathan. You're going to have to take over. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 5. I want to, I want to back up, like I told you a minute ago. You ever heard the old expression, you, I want you to see uh, the forest and not the trees? I want you to be able to see the big picture. I don't want you to zero in and just focus. I want you to see what all the individual trees make up when you see them all together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 through 5, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in what? Accordance to the Scriptures. Now, did they have the New Testament when Paul wrote this? All they had was the Old Testament. So Paul says that according to the Scriptures, I delivered to you that he died, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, and here he says again, in accordance to the Scriptures. And go to verse 5. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And so here he wants him to know that the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has all been a fulfillment of everything that you've read about from the time that you were taught the Scriptures as a little child. Listen, we're not just trying to teach children and teach you the stories of the Bible. Yes, we want you to know the stories. Yes, we want you to memorize David and Goliath. And we want you to memorize Moses and Egypt and the Red Sea. But the truth of the matter is, we want you to do that so that one day when you put it all together, every bit of it shows you one thing. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it does for you. So the Apostle Paul taught that it's all the way covered in scriptures. Matthew actually identifies Jesus as the very presence of God with us. Matthew, when he, when he introduces Jesus to us from his gospel, Matthew comes on the scene and he says, His name shall be called Emmanuel. In other words, the one who just is. The one who is from everlasting to everlasting. The one who before Genesis is with us. And then he takes his lineage all the way back to Abraham. You ever wondered why it was important for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for them to be able to show you these lineages and to show you these family trees and some of them take you back this way and some of them take you back this way? Matthew wants to take you back to show you that it goes all the way back to Abraham. And then when we get into Luke chapter 3 verse 38, Luke traces the lineage all the way back to God himself. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38. They may not be able to keep up with me. Look what it says. He's given the lineage and he says that Jesus was the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, and finally the son of who? He takes his lineage all the way back to God and he wants you to see that Jesus didn't just all of a sudden come on the scene here. He has always been. And then you actually go over into the Gospel of John chapter 1 verse 1 through 3. And in John chapter 1, he actually causes you to stretch your mind all the way back to before the creation was ever born. He says in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. Everything in this Bible from Genesis to Revelation centers and revolves around Jesus Christ as our Savior and the gospel, the good news that He died, was buried and He rose again to save mankind from their sin condition. If we don't see all these stories and everything that we have in this Bible and how it points to Jesus and the truth of the matter is you're going to be no different than those disciples. Those disciples walked with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. They knew every story there was to be told. Everything. But then when they were faced with a tragedy, death has came. All hope is lost. And Jesus said, you know what the problem is? You don't understand the Scriptures. The problem is that you can't go from Genesis to Revelations and see me. You can't have the questions that all of life grapples with answered because you don't understand and you can't interpret the Scriptures. So let's open the Scriptures this morning and see what, what questions am I talking about. There are at least four questions. There are probably more, but there are at least four questions that everybody that has ever been created has had to, has had to wrestle with at some point in their time. The first question that everybody wrestles with, where did we come from? Why are we here? Right? No matter what culture you go to, they have some kind of theory and some way that they've been wrestling with to figure out, why am I here? Everyone knows that I'm not just here for no reason. Even atheists try to figure out, even though they don't believe in God, they're still trying to figure out, how did we get here? Where did we come from? So no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, we wrestle with the question, where did we come from and what are we doing here? And another question that, that he gives us that we wrestle with, if um, there is a reason why we're here, then what went wrong? I mean, surely in your life there's been a circumstance where you can look at and the only thing you can do is shake your head and go, what happened? Something is not right about this place. Would you agree with that? Where did we come from? And, and what went wrong? And then the third question that we wrestle with, what's the solution? What, it, 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 can, can it even be fixed? Is there anything that, 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 that we can long for? Is there anything we can do? What, is there a solution to this problem that we have in a world where everything has went wrong? And then the last question. Is there any hope for the future? Is there any hope? Listen, I know that not every suicide... and I, Listen, I can't get in the minds of people that commit suicide. I, I don't know. Some people, I believe, could honestly commit suicide full of hope. Full of hope, longing for heaven, longing for God, longing to... I, I don't know. But I believe that there are many and probably a majority of people that when they commit suicide, the reason they do it is because they've lost all hope. 
as far as they're concerned, they can't see any hope. I bet some of you have been there. I bet I'm talking to somebody in here right now today that's been at a place in your life to where no matter how hard you looked, you couldn't find any hope. All hope was lost. So we have to answer the question, is there any hope? But there's only one place that can answer all four of those questions and answer them clearly. And that's this Bible, but only from Genesis to Revelations. When you see the whole picture, all four of those questions are answered. So very quickly, as, as quickly as I can, I'm going to try to preach to you Genesis to Revelations this morning. No problem. Y'all think I'm joking. <clears throat> the first question. Some of y'all have heard this before, so I'll go through it quickly, but you've got to hang with me. Listen, don't go to sleep on me. Where did we come from? Why are we here? You know, um, the, uh, there is a, a study that I was doing on this a while back by Dr. George Robinson was his name. And um, I was telling the Sunday school class this morning, um, uh, Fagan Sunday school class, I was in there with them this morning, and um, I was telling them that he, he told us that we suffer from a... Um, how did he put it? We suffer from a problem of what is called um, yearbook theology. I want you to think about this for a minute. How many of you went to school and you got a yearbook at any point in your school life? You got a yearbook, all right? What's the first thing you do when you get that yearbook? Huh? You look for yourself. First thing you do is you look for yourself. You find yourself on every page of that yearbook and you mark the page either literally or in your mind and you will continue to go back and look through that thing and see yourself in that yearbook. Because unbeknownst to all of your school peeps, your entire school year was, was about and revolved around who? You. And he said that there is a problem. Many times when we read the Bible, we do the same thing. It's no different. We suffer from yearbook theology. We get the Bible and we open it up and we miss the big picture of this thing. And instead, we zero in and we're looking for one thing in this book. I'm looking for me. I'm trying to figure out what this does for me. I'm trying to figure out where I fit into this and my happiness and my joy and, and, and the things that I don't like I just throw out and the things I do like I keep. Would you agree that there are many of us that suffer from that? So here we see that we have to go back and we have to start at the very beginning to figure out that this book is not about us. This world and why we're here is not about us. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. Can anybody quote the first four words for me? In the beginning what? Right off the bat, is this book anything about you? In the beginning, God. That's it. God being invisible and making Himself wanting to be displayed and wanting to be known in the beginning. God, He creates everything that is. And He creates the, 
the sun and the moon and He creates the, the land and the ocean and He creates the birds and the plants and the animals. And, and then it's not even until later on at the end of creation that we even come on the scene. The truth of the matter is you are the minor character in this story. God is the main character of this story. So the first thing that you got to do is quit looking for yourself because in the process of you looking for yourself, you miss the glory of God. Or let me turn that around. You miss the God of glory. You miss Him because you are looking for yourself. God creates everything that it is and then finally He creates mankind because He wants there to be a physical body that he breathes life into, that lives out who he is in the flesh. That's the reason the Bible says that he created men in the likeness of what? Of his image. He created man. Man was created in perfect innocence and righteousness. He was a perfect reflection of God's holiness. But, as you know, a serpent came on the scene. A serpent came on the scene and God had told them, he said... You can eat from any tree in this garden that you want except one. Enjoy this. Multiply your image. Multiply my image over the face of this earth. In other words, create more people that reflect who I am and fill this earth with it and you enjoy it. Just don't eat from one tree. There's a tree called the knowledge of good and evil. You were created to live for the glory of God, to be a reflection of the glory of God. That's why you're here, all right? And then all you had to do was follow God in your every direction. That's all we had to do. And serpent came to Eve and he said, Did God really say that if you eat from this tree you're going to die? He questioned God. And he put a doubt in Eve's mind. And... At that moment, the servant looked at Eve and he said, You know what? The problem is this. God just knows that when you eat from this tree, you're going to be like Him, knowing good from evil. He just don't want you to be like Him. And so Eve takes and she sees that this tree is good for food and it's pleasant to the eyes. And she eats from it. And she gives it to her husband who apparently was standing next to her. And he eats from it. And basically, here's what was being said. At this point, if God didn't want them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then what did they have to depend on for their knowledge of good and evil? So here's what they said. God, we don't need you to decide for us what's right and wrong anymore. We'll decide for ourselves what's right and wrong. Anybody ever been through that or going through that in your life right now? God, I don't want you to tell me what's right and wrong in this area. I can take care of this myself. We take that and we say, God, we declare independence from you. And so we separate ourselves from God. We sin and we fail short of what He created for us to be. And so in order to answer the question, where do we come from? We have to tell the story of creation. And in order to answer the question, what went wrong? We have to tell the story of the fall because when you separate yourself from the source of life, what happens? You die. And so God, not wanting to leave us in 
the fullness of His wrath, He gives us the curse of death. He actually curses the ground for our sake. And we see our first glimpse of the gospel because while He's doing this, you might remember that Adam and Eve were in the garden and whenever they came and God found them, He had to, he had to call for them because they were hiding. And does anybody remember what they had done? They made some clothes for themselves, right? They took some leaves and they were trying to cover themselves up and hide their own shame. And then God calls them and the serpent all to account and He lays out and the first glimpse of the gospel we get from Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 He actually tells the serpent, He says, I am going to put enmity or great hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head or crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right off the bat from Genesis we get the picture of the gospel as Adam and Eve are standing there trying to cover their own guilt as they've walked away from the Creator and the purpose He created them for. And then God shares the gospel and says, listen, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send a seed of a woman that's going to crush his head. He'll bruise his heel. He'll make him suffer. He'll make him hurt. But it won't be a deadly wound. Instead, he will be defeated. The serpent and all of his power will be defeated. And then the next thing we know, God takes an animal. Now think about this. Does anybody remember who named the animals? Named every one of them, right? Was there an, ad- an animal that Adam did not name? And God, and God put Adam in the garden to do what for the animals? Care for them. Have dominion over them. So God takes an animal that Adam had named. Think about this. God takes an animal that Adam had named. He gave it a name. God takes an animal that Adam had cared for and loved. And God kills the animal. And He makes Adam clothes to cover him. And God paints the first picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ for Adam and Eve. And He says, I'm going to take something that bears my name. I'm going to take something that's very precious to me, that I've cared for, that I love. And that's what it's going to cost to cover your sin. That's what it's going to cost to put you back in relationship with me. And so right there from the very beginning we have the first picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ that is painted as God takes this animal and kills it. And Adam and Eve watched this animal that they named and cared for and they watched it take its last breath. And then they wore what it gave for them. And they felt the weightiness of their sin. And they saw a picture of the gospel. Now it wasn't as clear as what we see it today because we now have seen the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ lived out, correct? But they saw the gospel was preached 
they had a picture of it. It was preached in Genesis 3.15 right after the fall. As soon as the fall came, God preached the gospel. Right after the fall, God showed them a picture of the gospel. And then we can go on and we can move on through the scriptures and I don't have time to go through many more, but I'm going to slowly go through or fastly go through one at a time. The next thing that we see is that from Genesis chapter 3 through verse, uh, Genesis chapter 3 through chapter 11 is going to illustrate how bad things can actually get without God's guidance when we choose for ourselves what is right and wrong. And so if you read Genesis chapter 3 all the way through Genesis chapter 11, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, we see that from the sin of Adam and Eve, the first thing that happens of course is that Cain kills Abel because God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's. And then by the time man multiplies, we get to a point that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his art was only evil continually. You see the progression of the fall? And so now God comes on the scene and He has to raise up a deliverer. Anybody remember who the deliverer of Genesis chapter 6 is? Noah. Remember, the story is really not about Noah and the ark. The story is about the creation that fell, the suffering that comes as a result of the fall, but the redemption or the solution that God has for it, that He's going to pay for it, and He's going to raise up a deliverer that's going to rescue us from our own sinful ways. Do you think you're any different than any of these people right here? This is what it looks like whenever we choose for ourselves what is right and wrong. We have to be delivered. And so God paints a picture and He says, Listen, I'm going to send judgment on the earth in the form of a flood. And I'm going to wipe this thing out because the sin is great. But I'm going to raise up a deliverer. And for 120 years, does anybody know what Noah did besides build an ark? Preach the gospel. Everybody who will get in the ark, you'll be saved. God's going to save you if you just believe Him. If you'll just trust that He's going to send the flood, if you'll trust that His wrath is coming, if you will just believe that God will do what He said He will do, you will be saved. And for 120 years Noah preached. But they didn't believe it. And the flood came and God raised up a new generation out of Noah and his family. So there again you see a beautiful picture of of how God is ultimately going to deal with sin but how God is going to raise up a deliverer who is going to preach to us a way of salvation. And then the first thing that happens whenever Noah gets off the ark is that Noah builds an altar to God. You know what he does? Sacrifices an animal. Once again, painting a picture that the shedding of blood will have to take place for even the ones that God saves, especially the ones that God saves. It will not take place without the shedding of blood. After Noah and his family are saved, they're told to repopulate the earth with people that worship God. But then by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, Noah's children have had children and their children have had children and so on. And now we find these guys out here on this big plain and they're building this humongous tower and they're saying... Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us put a tower whose top is in the heavens so that people will look at it and say, Wow, 
How great are they? So there again, we see ourselves, instead of being made to reflect the glory of God, what are we doing? We're reflecting and worshiping ourselves. Same way you're doing today, if you'll, if you'll pay close attention and, you're, and you haven't repented yet, you're doing the same thing. You're building a kingdom for you and you're building your name great. But then the next thing we see is that God makes a statement. He says, you know what? Let us go down and see this big tower. Now think about it. Now, this is hilarious to me. I'm coming. I'm going to close here in a minute. I can't, ain't no way I can preach Genesis Revelation. What was I thinking? <clears throat> think about this for just a minute. There's a tower and its top is going to stretch into the heavens, into the clouds. And they think this thing is so great that it's going to make their name great and it's going to show how glorious they are. But the God of glory looks down at this humongous tower and he says, let's go down there, let's go down there and see this thing. In other words, I can't, even at our greatest glory, it's still not even able to be seen from where God sits. And God says, let us go down and let's look at this great tower. And he comes down and he says, you know what? When these guys join together in one, they are doing things that absolutely will bring glory to their name according to this little old small world that they live in and this little old picture that they see. I don't want to leave them there, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to confuse the languages and I'm going to scatter them throughout all the face of the earth. You ever wondered where that come from? There it is. And now when I go to Guatemala, somebody's got to stand up there and translate me. Somebody's got to stand up there and fix my language because they don't understand what I'm saying. And God took the, the fall of man and He tries to, to spread out so that they cannot work together and continue in this path. But then you go from Genesis 11 to Genesis chapter 12 and you know what God does? He raises up another deliverer. Anybody know who that is? Abraham. Out of all these people, God picks one. He says, I'm going to raise up a deliverer. See, so all this time you thought the story was about Noah and the ark. All this time you thought the story was about Adam and Eve or Cain and Abel. Or all this time you thought the story was about Abraham. The story is about the fall of man and the fact that Man has no hope whatsoever in his fallen condition. He will only keep progressing downward every time. But God will raise up a deliverer. And all who fall under the faith of this deliverer, they will be saved. One last story, and I could tell you story after story after story because every one of them point to Jesus. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Abraham had a son in his old age named Isaac. And God wakes up Abraham one morning and says, Listen, I want you to give me your son as a sacrifice. Your only begotten son, the son that I promised you, the son that I told you that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. I want you to give him to me as a sacrifice. And the Bible says that Abraham woke up early one morning 
and he gathered together sticks and he got Isaac and Isaac put these sticks on his back and he's walking up the hill and he's going up the hill and Isaac says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? You remember what Abraham said? God will provide. And they go on up the hill and they get up to the top and he prepares the altar and he lays his son out of the altar and he ties him down. And from all we know, Isaac doesn't even really fight. Now you remember that. And then he takes the knife and he rears back and he goes to kill his son and the angel stops him. And he says, don't you harm that boy. Because now I know. Now I know that your faith is genuine. Now I know that you will do anything for me. Now I know that you trust me. And then Abraham turns and he looks to his side and you know what he sees? There's a ram in a bush. Abraham goes over and he gets this ram out of this bush and he brings it over and he sacrifices this ram. And wouldn't you know that just about... Uh, 2,000 or so years later, or however many years it was later, I can't remember, but several years down the road, wouldn't you know that God's only son would also carry a stick of wood up a hill and that he would get to the top and that he would give his life as a sacrifice for sins so that people like Isaac and people like Abraham and people like you and people like me wouldn't have to. You want to know the problem with Jewish faith today? They don't understand the scriptures. They can't look back from Genesis all the way through the law of Moses, all the way through the prophets and everything that they pointed to, and they can't see the gospel of Jesus Christ lived out throughout it all. My prayer today, and I may just pick this up next week and go right along with it. My prayer today is very simple. I pray that you can back up from the Bible far enough that you quit focusing on the individuals as much as you focus on the individual. Everything that you read in Scripture from Genesis to Revelations, points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where did we come from? God. In the beginning, God. What happened? Well, we decided we didn't want God's way anymore. We decided we could choose for ourselves right and wrong. And now we're on a fall. And if you read the book of Judges, you'll see that every story starts out like this. The people, uh, the, a new generation arose up that didn't know the Lord nor His works and they did what was right in their own eyes. Every story starts out the same way. And then they fall into this great fall of progressing and end up in slavery and end up in suffering. And then what does God have to do? He raises up a deliverer. Every picture you look at, no matter what story you go to, you're not reading about Samson and Delilah as much as you're reading about Jesus Christ. You're not reading about Deborah as much as you're reading about, De about Jesus Christ. You're not reading about Rahab as much as you're reading about Jesus Christ. You're not reading about Moses and the Red Sea as much as you're reading about how God 
is going to raise up a deliverer because we are a fallen creation and we're on a slow decline. Right now in America, surely you can say we're on a fast decline. And guess what? It's going to decline. I'm sorry, guys. Vote for whoever you want to. Uh, well, not really. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> the truth is still the same. No matter which one gets in office, I'm just going to go on and tell you, you're on a decline. This country is on a decline. And our only hope is that we see the gospel of Jesus Christ. God is going to raise up a deliverer, and He already has. And as long as we put our faith in that deliverer, we'll be saved. So let's answer the last few questions. What's the solution? The solution is God's going to raise up a redeemer. <laughs> is there any hope for the future? Go to Revelations chapter 22 and start right there. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelations chapter 2 is really one long answer to a short question. And the question is this, what can God do about sin in the world? Can God do anything to help us? Can God do anything to save us? And from Genesis chapter 3 to Revelations 22, every bit of that is the answer that says, I sure can. I can raise up a deliverer and I can save you from it all. And just like before Genesis chapter 3, there was new heavens and new earth and it was perfect. And Revelation 22, you know what the climax of it is? New heavens and new earth. Because God gives us new hope. I pray you see the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. I pray that if you're one of those that you didn't know why you were here, that today you know why you were here. I pray that if you didn't know what the problem was and what happened, that today you know what happened. And I pray that you see why this thing is on a decline, the way that it's on a decline. And I pray that you're able to see that God has a plan of redemption to purchase you back and to bring you back. And that God has a hope for your future in new heavens and new earth and new bodies living out in eternity before the God of all glory. And that's the story of the Bible. So when you open up your Bible, no matter what part you read, don't get confused. Just look for Jesus. Look for the creation. Look for the fall. Look for the redemption. And look for the restoration. Because no matter where you pick your Bible up and where you read, as long as you look for the gospel, you're not going to miss it. You're going to see it. And it's going to give you hope. I promise you that. Y'all stand this morning. There are several hundred invitations that I could give to a message like this, but um, this morning I just want to pray that maybe if your eyes have been opened, maybe this is the morning that you just say, God, thank you. Thank you that I see things. Thank you that my heart burned within me while he opened the scriptures. Thank you that I had the aha moment and it makes sense. Thank you that I understand why I believe what I believe now. Thank you that it's been open to me just a little bit more. Or maybe this morning is the morning that you say, this morning is the first morning I realize why I'm on the decline I'm on. I've never put my faith in the deliverer. I've never got in the heart. Whatever it is that you need this morning, I pray that before you leave, that you make things right with your Creator. And 
that you accept the deliverance that God has raised up for you.